Right, let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for these guys. It's always good just to, just to joke and talk and uh, just, just step back from time to time and take a big view of the landscape of the world and uh, realize that, that we don't have all the answers. Uh, we, can, we can talk sports and we can talk uh, a little bit of history and politics and uh, uh, news and uh, Facebook and whatever it else it is. But God, we, when we really want to understand what's going on in our lives and the lives of those around us, we need to look to your word. And so God, that's what we want to do today. Uh, thank you for these guys as we continue just a journey uh, in our faith walk. And uh, God, I do pray uh, for guys all the time that uh, regardless of where they are, whether they're young or old or they're somewhere in between, uh, whether they're single or married, uh, man, whatever the, whether they've lived a, uh, from a world's perspective, a pretty good life or, or man, it's just been um, brokenness all around them. Uh, God, I pray that, um, that, that, that they would understand part of the beauty of your grace and your love is that uh, they get the opportunity uh, to start where they are right now. And they still get your love, uh, just like the father who waited for the prodigal to come home. And so, God, that's what I pray for, for guys here today. Uh, God, I pray that uh, uh, as we look into your word and we look at uh, one that was willing to stand firm in his faith all the way to the end, uh, that we would see uh, just um, some principles of his life that, um, that we can glean and we can understand and we can, uh, we can hear. And so, God, uh, let, us, um, uh, let us look to your word today and, and let it impact our hearts as we journey out today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, we've been in the middle of, uh, if you're new here, thanks guys for being here. Uh, always want to invite you all to invite someone uh, next week. Know that breakfast is always here. And uh, thanks again uh, for bringing it. Well, that's right. It's, it's, it's always here, just not always on time. Right, Joe? Yeah, that's what you heard. Uh, Joe was late with the breakfast last week, and these guys get pretty grumpy. Um, no, it's, it's, it's good, and so um, always good to see you all pay it forward and then the guy run off with our money. Uh, but uh, we've been in the middle of a five-pillar series, Five Pillars of Biblical Manhood, uh, and they all come from, uh, if you don't know this, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13 and 14. You want to you get two verses uh, to memorize, memorize them. Uh, and, and the good news is we all know the shortest verse in the Bible is Jesus wept. Uh, verse 14 of 1 Corinthians chapter 16 is basically the next shortest verse in the Bible. It says, do everything in love. So you can always remember that. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and 14 are the two verses we look at. Let me just read them for you. It says, be on your guard. That was pillar number one. We looked at that uh, two weeks ago. Uh, then here's pillar number two, stand firm in your faith. We're going to look at this today. Uh, continue to look at this today. Pillar number three is to be courageous. Pillar number four is be strong. And then pillar number five is found in verse 14, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. It says, do everything in love. So be on your guard, stand firm in your faith, be courageous, be strong, and do everything in love. And so last, what I'm doing in each one of these pillars is I'm showing you someone, I'm either going to the Old Testament or the New Testament, I'm showing you someone that was an epic fail, someone that failed at standing firm in their faith. And if you were here last week as I began this, uh, this thought on uh, stand firm on your faith, we went to the Old Testament. We looked at Aaron. Remember, Aaron was uh, uh, Moses' uh, assistant uh, related uh, to him and, and really uh, kind of started the, the priesthood line. He was a Levite. He, he was their Aaronic priesthood is what they referred to it as. Uh, there were a lot of things that Aaron did, uh, did that were well. 
It seems as if when Moses was having his doubts uh, as he was talking to God in the burning bush, uh, and then God finally got angry with Moses, he says, Moses, I want you to go. Uh, what about your brother Aaron? He says, go get Aaron. Uh, Aaron was a little older than Moses, um, and, and Aaron seems to have immediately said yes uh, to God, whereas Moses had some questions. Aaron was a good supporter. His staff, God oftentimes used his staff to perform miracles. Uh, he, Mo, Aaron stood right there uh, when they called, when, when Moses went into the children of Israel who were in Egypt. It was Aaron that called the elders together. It was Aaron that many times spoke for Moses. It was Aaron that was standing right there with Pharaoh. It was Aaron that supported him. It was Aaron when, uh, uh, when Moses went up on the mountain that Aaron was uh, left along with her. Uh, to, uh, uh, to support uh, the people and handle the disputes. It was Aaron that when Moses got tired uh, and was holding his hands up and Joshua was fighting down in the valley, uh, that they put a, um, uh, put a stone under Moses when he got tired and he sat down and held his arms up. Aaron and her on one side and the other held his arms up. Aaron did a lot of good things, but remember what happened when it came time that he ultimately failed in his faith. And we talked last week about uh, when Moses went on the mountain, he had been gone for a while, that the children of Israel grumbled again, as they were so prone to do. They came to Aaron and said, listen, everybody else has an idol. We need an idol. And so they built that golden calf. You've all seen the movie. People began to worship it and fall down before it. Moses came down from the mountain. And how many of you remember what Aaron said? Aaron said, these people... Uh, he goes, man, these people that you left me with, they began to grumble and they began to gripe. And basically, we talked about last week that uh, he had weak knees. Uh, he had weak values. And his weak knees were when the people began to push, he caved in. And his weak values is he was willing to mix the worship of God, the one true God, with idol worship. And so they built that idol of uh, uh, a gold, that golden calf, powerful. It was also a sign in those days of fertility. And they just wanted something. They wanted some sort of idol to carry into battle. Uh, because remember, even as they journeyed through the promised land, they were always going through uh, different tribes and different people's places. And uh, they would often find themselves in battle. And they noticed as they looked out at other people, man, they've got this big, you know, they've got a big horse, so they've got a, got a big cow, they've got some strong man, kind of their idol to their God. And they said, we need one. And so Aaron gave it to them. And Moses came down, remember, and he said, hey, what have you done? And uh, you, remember, you remember Aaron's, uh, instead of being honest, does what we do oftentimes when we sin and we fail in our own lives. He, he blamed the people. Then he lied about what took place. Remember what he said? He goes, hey, we're really not sure what happened. Uh, he says, we gathered all our gold, threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. I remember we talked about that last week. If you missed that week, you can go find it online. And, and, and we went back and looked at the Word. The Word says, man, they fashioned that idol. And so we talked about, man, we've got to make sure that we don't have weak knees because there is coming a day more and more. Uh, that, uh, that the world is going to come against us in our faith and against our walk, whether it's in your office or uh, whether it's in your neighborhood or some other place that you are about, or someone just comes up and says, you believe all that stuff? And you're going to be prone to compromise and back away. Uh, you're also going to be compromised. Uh, you're going to be prone to compromise your faith and, and add a little bit of a, a mixture of, of God and faith in God and God's Word, but also, hey, add a little bit of this and add a little bit of that. If you know uh, the uniqueness of the Hindu people uh, and the Hindu religion, it is not uncommon uh, for Hindus uh, to be willing, if you happen to live, one, live next door to one or around one, they're absolutely willing to add Jesus to all their other gods they worship. 
and, and they're willing to mix him in there because they believe he had some great things to say. Now, where, where, where it really uh, cuts against their grain is when you say, okay, so you like this Jesus, and you believe he died on the cross for your sins, yes. Do you believe he's the only way to, cry, uh, only way to God? And then they go, no, 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 no. They're willing to add him because they don't, want to, they, don't, they don't want to miss out, but they're not willing to accept that Jesus is the one and only Son of God and the one and only way to salvation. And so that's really, for, for the Hindu, that's really where it cuts. It will not be uh, surprising. If you live next door to someone who is a Hindu, you invite them to church, they'll come. You invite them to, a, to an event, they will come. You invite them to accept Jesus Christ as the one and only Savior in the world. That's where you're going to have to decide, and that's where they're going to have to decide whether they're going to fish or cut bait. And so we're always going to be prone in small ways, not in that way, but in small ways, we're always going to be prone to compromise and mix. And so that's where Aaron was. And so he was the epic fail of being strong in his faith. And just like Moses, he didn't get to go into the promised land. Uh, he was there when Moses spoke to the rock and struck the rock or was supposed to speak to the rock and struck the rock. And so Aaron didn't ultimately get, get to the promised land because of his failings, just like Moses. Now, so I want to talk to you. If he was the epic fell, I want to talk to you about sweet victory. And we see a guy in the New Testament. He was actually one of the first seven deacons. If you want to turn to Acts chapter 6, Acts chapter 6, we're going to look at a guy named Stephen. Stephen. And if we look at Stephen, um, he, it doesn't seem that... Um, you know, he wasn't like Billy Graham. Uh, and what I mean by that is he, he was like Billy Graham, but he wasn't like Billy Graham. He didn't have a long ministry. You know, his ministry doesn't seem to have been that long. But whatever ministry he had was a faithful one. And so that's where I want to encourage you guys. I, I, I don't know how long God's going to leave me here. I don't know how long God's going to leave you here. But I'm going to encourage you to, to determine today to say, whatever days I have left, whatever breath I have left, whatever relationships I have between now and eternity, I'm going to stand firm in my faith. And so let's pick it up. Hopefully you're there in Acts chapter 6. Uh, I want to pick it up reading the first seven verses. It says, in those days when the number of the disciples was increasing, uh, that the Hellenistic Jews uh, among them uh, complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. And so the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait tables. Brothers and sisters, he's talking to the people, and that's the church there. And what has happened is God, the church has expanded. You remember Pentecost, God had, uh, Jesus, when he was there and he was being ascended into heaven, he says, wait here and the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Uh, and the Holy Spirit did that in Acts chapter 2, and Peter uh, preached, and, and the church exploded. And as the church exploded, uh, what took place is uh, they, the, basically the disciples were overwhelmed with the needs of the people. And one of the things that they understood is they were supposed to care, take care for the widow. Because in that day, in that season, uh, especially in an agrarian society, um, that, uh, that if you were a widow uh, and you didn't have family or someone to take care of you, you were basically destitute. You were left to uh, the scraps uh, on, on the sides and the, the edges of the fields that the children of Israel were told, leave the edges of the field for the widows and the orphans to come in and gather grain. You can go all the way back and you see Ruth uh, and Naomi, and that's kind of where they were. Uh, before that whole experience with Boaz. but So the church 
basically was, was told, care for the widows who are in your midst. Now, you had different kinds of widows. And notice as you look at it, that says the Hellenistic Jews uh, said, the, said to the Hebraic Jews. In other words, he says there's, there's some favoritism. Those widows that are truly Hebrew widows are being more and more, uh, and, and, and more well cared for than those widows who were uh, Hellenistic, which means they're Greek. There's some sort of mixture. And so they took it to the disciples and said, this is not right. This is not right. Our widows are not being cared for just because uh, of their race, their background, uh, as much as the Jewish widows are. And you know what? The disciples looked back and honestly said, you're right. You've got a point that, uh, that we need to care for our widows better. And so what happened is the disciples stepped back and said, you know, we can take care of this problem, but guess what? Uh, we're the ones going out preaching the gospel and sharing our faith and uh, letting the children grow and disciple, uh, letting, the, uh, letting the church grow and the, and the children of the church grow. And they said it wouldn't be right for us to stop doing that and wait tables. Now, just because it wouldn't be right for us to stop and wait tables doesn't mean it's not right. So what happens is they said, hey, choose for yourself. They go to the church. And they say, choose for yourself uh, some men who are full of faith, who have integrity, so they can distribute money and finances and food to the widows. Now, um, we're in the middle of our denomination process. If you've been around, you've seen some of that. We've gone through our life groups. We've gone through the Creek Guide. And we always take nominations of, uh, of men uh, in our church that, um, that uh, people have said, we would, we would like for this individual uh, to, uh, to be nominated. And it's always a, a good time, and Justin and I have been talking about this. How many guys have been nominated in the church? <clears throat> so we've got 70 guys that have been nominated. Not all 70 guys will, will become deacons. Not all 70 guys will become deacons. But we'll have a couple of meetings where I'll call all those guys in, and the beauty of it is when we call them in, uh, the first thing we do instead of us discerning them and us judging them, after I speak with them, we give them a handout where they can really examine their own heart and examine their own life. We give them about a month to examine their own life, to, to really see where they measure up and see where they fall short. We don't cut anybody who is nominated first. Now, I will tell you all that uh, when we walk into that first meeting, and uh, we look at guys, I know in my heart that's, that, that, that some of these guys are not ready to be a deacon. But here's what I also know. I love the opportunity to challenge them and say, you may not be ready now, but guess what? In two years, we'll have another deacon nomination. And so now that you get the opportunity to look at the qualifications and really take a good hard look at your own life and your own relationships and your own walk with the Lord, you can take the next two years uh, to really say, man, let me grow in my faith. Let me begin to study God's Word. And so the, the beauty of the nomination process is we invite everybody that's nominated in there. So uh, uh, some of y'all will show, in that room, show up in that room, and I'll go, yeah, he ain't making it. Um, no, I'm kidding. That's going to be on y'all. And the, and the wonderful thing is many times after that meeting, I'll get to sit down and have a cup of coffee with somebody. I'll get to go have breakfast with somebody or lunch with somebody. And they'll say, I know I'm not ready, but I just want you to pray with me about that. And I want you to know as your pastor, nothing jazzes me up more than that, than a guy that says, you know, I'm not ready, but part of what I want to do is in two years be ready. 
in two years, I, I, I want my marriage to be where it needs to be, and I want my faith walk to be where it needs to be, and I want my service to God and His, His church to be where it needs to be. And so uh, as we go through that process, if you've been nominated and you're sitting there in a, with a check in your heart, show up to that meeting with me. And you'll see that I don't stand in there and judge you. I'm going to lay out the qualifications for what it means to be a deacon. Then you get to go through the next 30 days with your with your wife and with your family and say, hey, here's an area where I fall short. Here's an area where I fall short. Because the reality of it is none of us are perfect, guys. Uh, holiness, a lot of times we think of holiness as a bar that we have to go over. And, and I want you to know, holiness is a journey. It's a pursuit. As I begin to get closer and closer to Christ, there are some things that fall away and, and that I need to get rid of and I need to deal with. And there are those sins of the flesh that I need to say, you know what, I need to stop indulging that. I need to stop doing that. And so as you look at Stephen... Uh, notice as we continue to read. So the disciples, so the twelve gathered the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us, and I'm in verse two, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order uh, to wait on tables. He says, Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and of wisdom. And we will turn this responsibility, the one of caring for all of the widows, not just a certain select group of widows, we will turn this responsibility over to them, and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. And the proposal pleased the whole group. In other words, the church said, that's a good idea. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit. And that's who we're going to look at. And then you see uh, Philip, uh, and then a bunch of other names we can't pronounce. And then notice what it says, a convert to Judaism. Then notice what it says in verse 6. It says, they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. That's part of the denomination. We, lay, we pray for these guys after they've been through an extensive uh, check, uh, interview process. Our deacons go out and interview with them, sit down with their, with their wives and say, here are the requirements. Here's what it's going to take. And he says, they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them. So notice verse 7. What happened as a result of the selection of these new deacons? It's right there in verse 7. And here's what it says. So the word of God continued to spread, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now, now listen to this. That's a pretty awesome thing. When you get a bunch of preachers saved, that's when you know you're doing good, all right? Notice a bunch of priests got saved. But here's the beauty. Notice what it didn't say. Once they selected the first uh, deacons, it doesn't say the number of business meetings at church went up. It doesn't say the number of church splits went up. It didn't say that all of a sudden the pastor started getting hammered all the time. It said what? The word of God continued to spread. And this is the beauty of when we go through the deacon process, there are always people that said, man, what are the deacons like in this? What are the, what are the deacons like at our church? If you want to know what our, our deacons are like at our church, they're superstars. I, I would probably put, uh, anybody ever seen the uh, American Ninja Warrior? You ever watch that? You ever, from time to time, when you don't have anything else to do and you find yourself in the backside of the guide and, and you watch the Ninja Warrior and I always love it? And they'll, they'll say, This guy's 43 years old and he's going to go through the course and he does all this stuff. And, you know, I, I want you to know, um, man, our deacons here at Cottonwood are Ninja Warriors. 
Uh, they are serving our widows. They are serving at our mission events. They're going on mission. They're serving in our children's ministry. They're opening doors. They're doing the Lord's Supper uh, at all six of our uh, Christmas Eve services. Our deacons serve. And that's really the heartbeat of a deacon. The deacon, we, we don't call our, 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 our deacons a deacon board. I don't see that anywhere in Scripture, that there's a deacon board. Uh, now, there are elders and there are leaders, and, and we have groups in our church that make decision-making processes, and every one of those groups, guess what, personnel team, steward te stewardship team, trustees or elders, whatever you have, uh, whatever you're used to, um, half of those guys on, 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 those, on those groups and committees and boards, half of those guys are deacons. But guess what? When they're on those boards, they're serving in a different capacity than when they're deacons. When they're deacons, they're servants because that's the biblical idea of when you select a group of deacons. So I want you to know there are two things um, that uh, I know are going to happen. One greatly discourages me anytime we do deacon nominations at our church. And one greatly excites me. Here's what greatly, greatly discourages me. Just so you'll know, uh, we started our nomination process. When do we finally select our last group of deacons? When do we lay our? When, when do we have the deacon? End of October. So between now and the end of October, that's how long the process takes. So for someone to be a deacon at this church, they've been through six months worth of a month of self-evaluation, months of interviews, months of talks, and then you got to go through training, and then you got to do this before we ever put you before the church and lay our hands on you and say you're a deacon. Now, here's what greatly discourages me. Somewhere in that process, I don't mind when guys self-eliminate, but here's what I know. There are some interview processes that go on that are really hard. And, and sometimes the, the, the deacon leadership will look at an individual and say, you're just not quite ready. And, and somebody gets discouraged instead of understanding that those are just older brothers and sisters in the faith who say, you know, there are a couple of things we want you to fix because I, I, there's some deacons in this room. We will work you hard. And if your marriage is all, already struggling, Serving God at Cottonwood can make it that much harder. Does that make sense? And we are going to have to look in some guys' eyes and say, we will never say never. But we do from time to time say not now. Does that make sense? Because we want you to go get things right with your life or we want you to grow a little bit in your faith because part of what happens has to be tested in your faith. And here's what I know. Some guys are going to turn and they're going to walk away from the church because we had to say no. Our deacon leadership had to say no. So that's the thing that I hate. If you are in that process, whether you say no or whether someone else says no, realize it's not never, it's just not now. Does that make sense? That's the beauty of God's Word. That's the beauty of the walk in God is, man, I get the opportunity to spend two more times tapping in to what God wants for me in my life. And I'll tell you, uh, you go ask Shane. Shane usually sits right back there. Where is he today? Did you run him off, Stanley? Yeah, uh, Shane was one of those guys that, man, he was real, real close. We just weren't comfortable with. But Shane was one of those guys that we said, we're going to put you alongside with somebody the next two years. And he hung in there and hung in there and hung in there and hung in there. And all of a sudden, he becomes uh, a deacon at the church. Let me tell you what, I was scared to death. Really, not, not that Shane would be a deacon. <laughs> I was scared to death he wouldn't hang in there. 
Does that make sense? I was scared to death he wouldn't hang in there. How many of you love Shane, man? You, you, you know who I, dude, he was one of the guys that was in there. We said no to him. But he was faithful and he realized our heartbeat was for him, not against him. And so that's the thing that I hate is that people will walk away. You know what I'm excited about? Is it come October when we lay hands on a bunch of deacons that exactly what we see here is going to happen, the word of God begin to spread. So Stephen, he's sweet victory. And, and, and let me tell you what, if you know the end of the story, it doesn't seem like a sweet victory, but it is a sweet victory. So let me tell you, if I told you a couple of things about Aaron, he had weak faith, uh, weak knees, and weak values. Let me give you a couple of thoughts of, uh, of what it really means to stand firm in your faith. Here's thought number one. You have to be strong under pressure. You have to be strong under pressure. Write that down. If you are going to be able to stand firm in your faith, you have to know that the pressure is going to come. And that's thought number one, is you have to be strong under pressure. It's going to come. It came to Aaron. Aaron just failed the test. Guess what? It comes to Stephen. If you just jump over uh, uh, a chapter uh, or just a few verses, start reading, pick it up in verse 8. Here it is, strong under pressure, despite opposition and his enemies. Uh, Stephen doesn't crack. Look at it beginning in verse 8. Now, Stephen was a man full of God's grace and power, and he performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose. How long did it take from the time that Stephen was elected and selected as a deacon before opposition arose? One verse. One verse. All right? I want you to know, you don't have to be a deacon today to decide, I'm going to stand firm in my faith. I'm going to begin to uh, be bold in my faith. I'm going to walk with God. Let me tell you what. How long is it going to take for you to encounter opposition? About a nanosecond, guys. It's going to take about a nanosecond. Took Stephen one whole verse, and good things were happening, and all of a sudden opposition arose. So what? how does he respond? Notice I said thought number one is you better be strong under pressure. You're not going to back down. It says opposition arose, verse 9. However, from members of the synagogue of the freedom, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Sicily and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. Look at verse 10. But they could not stand up against, listen to this, the wisdom the Spirit gave him to spoke, speak. They couldn't stand up. That's why one of the things that we do is we are in the process of, uh, of nominating deacons is we're like, man, you, you need to get into God's Word. You need, to, you need to study God's Word. You need to go to a, a Defending Your Faith conference that we'll hold here every, every year, Rethink conference that we're booking right now for the end of March next year. It's specifically for our young adults and our young kids. But let me tell you what, you need to be able to stand firm in your faith. You need to know the arguments why we believe God exists. And uh, you, we need to understand uh, the reality when someone comes up and says something like, if there is a good God, why is there so much evil? That that all of a sudden didn't throw you up. And that's a tough one to answer. You know, because don't how many of you in this room believe that if God wanted to, he could eliminate all evil in the world? That he could have caused the Syrian chlorine uh, bombs not to explode and none of those children would have suffered? The reality of it is we believe that kind of God. You look in God's Word, that's the kind of God we serve. But the truth is, God doesn't step in. So when someone comes up to you and says, well, if there was a God and he's a good God and he's an all-powerful God, why didn't, why didn't he stop all evil? Well, what are we going to do? We're going to tuck tail and run? We're going to learn how to respond. Well, first of all, you're going to say, yeah, we do serve that kind of God, and someday he will remove all evil. 
But the moment he does, you, whoever's talking to you, won't have an opportunity for salvation. So you really want God to remove all evil from the world because you will no longer have a chance to accept the gospel. Beyond that, even in your statement, you, you explained and you proved that God exists. And they'll go, what? No, I said God doesn't exist because there's evil. I said, well, if you believe there's evil in the world, that means you also believe there's good, right? And they say, oh, yeah, I believe there's good in the world. That's how I know there's evil. Well, let me ask you a question. If the existence of evil says God doesn't exist, how come what you just said, the existence of good, at least says there must be a God, right? And then you begin to journey down the path. What do we usually do? We back away because we can't answer that question. We want you to be able to answer these questions, God. We want you to be, guys, we want you to be prepared to answer these questions. And let me tell you what, if you've got teenagers, you mentioned teenagers all the way up to 18, they are going to experience an attack on their faith like none of us ever have. We've got to train them, and we've got to teach them, and that's what we do in our student ministry. And uh, I had lunch on, uh, we had lunch, our senior staff had lunch uh, with, our, with our student ministry, and we're, we were talking about um, a youth camp coming up and, and how we want to really invest in these kids' lives and teach them. and give. We've got a week with these kids to pour into their lives the ability to survive the rest of the summer, but ultimately, uh, for many of them, survive college. And so we want you to know, man, their opposition is going to come. And so if you thought, number one, if you're going to stand firm in your faith, you better be strong under pressure. And notice how that was. He had studied God's Word. He knew how to defend the faith. And so when all of these leaders in the synagogues, the religious leaders in that day, they would have been the professors or the thinkers of the day, begin to attack him, what happened? He used God's word to stand firm in his faith. Here's the second thing that you're going to have to do. You better have some strong reasoning skills. You better have some strong argumentation skills. You say, what do you mean by that? Just like I just did a few seconds ago in that little uh, hypothetical example that you have, you better be able to step back, organize your thoughts, because let me tell you what, people who want to tear you down and they want to tear you down in front of a group, in front of people, they have a well-thought-out approach. And so notice as you uh, jump down, here's what happens. Stephen, Stephen delivers a powerful, biblically-based defense of the faith. It, it, it picks up in verse 11. So they've opposed him. They've attacked him. If you just begin to read, uh, uh, I won't read it all to you. If, you just, if you're taking notes, write this down. From uh, Acts chapter 6, verse 11, all the way to Acts chapter 7, verse 23. Verse 53, excuse me that Stephen preaches a sermon where he ties the Old Testament to the New Testament, the Old Testament to the New Testament. He'll go back to the Old Testament and give an example, and then he'll talk about the fulfillment it was in Christ. Then he gives another example in the Old Testament, talk about the fulfillment it was in Christ. Then he gives another example in the Old Testament. Man, we need to study God's Word. We need to learn God's Word. And so what, what Stephen basically did is he took what these Jews knew, he said, you remember Abraham and Abraham's promise and the offspring and the seed? He says, you remember the sacrificial system in the Old Testament and, and what took place? He says, do you remember the prophets of old who came to your fathers and your forefathers and your fathers before them and they warned them to repent or they would be overthrown and that's exactly what God did. Do you remember the prophet who talked about a virgin birth that would take place in Bethlehem over 600 years ago? Do you remember that the prophet in the Old Testament said, and they would call his name Wonderful Counselor. 
Do you remember all that? It was fulfilled in this man, Jesus Christ, who was from the line and the lineage of David, and he began to just walk through. And, man, he is just lighting them up. And guess what he's doing? He's taking their arguments and turning them back and using them against him. Now, let me tell you what. You can't do that in a day. But I also want you to know, if you're sitting here going, Pastor, I can't do that now. You might not be able to do it now, but you can do it someday. You might not be able to do it now, but you can do it shortly. You might not be able to do it now, but you can do it better tomorrow than you can today. And remember, as you go to this, uh, that's exactly what John the Baptist did. Remember, you, you close out the book of Old Testament, and the book of Malachi said, man, things are going to be silent for a season, and they were. Those dead intertestamental period. But Malachi said there's going to be one coming from the desert, desert who calls out and cries out. He tries to bring the hearts of the children back to the hearts of the parents, the hearts of the parents back to the hearts of the children. And that person was John the Baptist, another Elijah. What did John the Baptist say when he looked at Jesus in John chapter 1, verse 29? He said, Behold the Lamb of God. Okay, we know the end of that, and we focus on that, but every Jew immediately went, Oh, I understand the Lamb of God. That's what we sacrifice over and over again. That's what the priests do over and over again because there's some, the Lamb of God that does what? Takes away the sins of the world. So, so you better be able to stand strong under pressure if you're going to be firm in your faith, but you need to have some strong reasoning skills. You need to understand God's Word and be able to defend your faith, and that's exactly what we saw. Here's the third thing we saw of Stephen. You need to come to your faith with this idea that I'm going to be strong to the end. I'm going to be strong to the end. I'm going to have faith in God to the very end. I'm not going to shut it down early. I'm not going to shrink back when things get hard. When the pressure gets on, I'm going to be willing to push back. When things don't always go my way, I'm going to churn on and I'm going to chug on. Man, when the winds and the waves come against me, I'm not going to put, the, put my spiritual life in reverse. I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to power down. Man, if you know anything, and, and I, I don't claim to know much about it, if you know anything, I do spend a lot of time on the boat in the summer, and you all know that. I love it. And there are times you get out there, and you know, you're sitting out, we're sitting out there talking about, all right, we're going to get the kids wakeboarding, and you're sitting there with the GPS, and, and you're seeing where the storms are coming from. Anybody ever been out there on the boat? And so you're moving to one side of the lake, another side of the lake. There are times that all of a sudden, anybody ever known this, the weatherman's wrong? And the only thing you can do, let me tell you what, the worst thing you can do in that season when the, when the waves get high and the, and the wind is blowing, the worst thing you can do is turn the boat off. If you go look and you think about the Coast Guard and some of the things that they do and you just look at it, man, I just love from time to time on YouTube going, watching those guys and, and gals that are out there battling those storms, going into the... Guess what? The worst thing that can happen to a boat is it lose power. And guys, let me tell you what, when the waves get high and, and the wind begins to blow, if you shut down the power of God in your life, if you shut yourself off from the church, I will guarantee you, you will roll and you will die. And so I want to encourage you to be strong to the end. And as we think about being strong to the end, jump down to Acts chapter 7, verse 54 to 60. It says this. It says, when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this. So remember that long sermon 
that long sermon, all right, that he had preached over and over again with God's Word. And by the way, that's the way it always happens. If you need to leave, you're always welcome to leave. I know some of you have to go to work. Just pick up the last part. It'll be online probably by tomorrow morning. Uh, here's what it says. He preached this long sermon. Pick it up in uh, Acts chapter 7, verse 54. It says, when the San members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, looked up into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And as they covered their ears, and what was he saying? He was saying, this resurrected Jesus who all of your Old Testament sacrificial system talked about, who all the Old Testament prophets talked about, that Jesus whom you crucified, you buried, he rose again on the third day. Guess what I see right now? It is him standing in heaven at the right hand of the throne of grace. And so as it looked in, it says they covered their ears. They covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices. They, they rushed at him. They dragged him. Um, uh, they, 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 they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coat at the feet of a young man named Saul. How many of you know who that becomes? That's Paul. Man, Saul was right there. He was named. If you want to know why he got his name, it was not uncommon in those days for them to name their children after the first king in Israel, Saul. Wasn't a very good king, but he was a the king they wanted. And so they laid their feet, laid their coats at the, at the feet of a man named Saul. And it says, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Look at verse six, 60. It says, then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Man, if you look at that, if you're going to stand firm in your faith, if you're going to experience the sweet victory, those are the three ideas. Here they are again. You better be strong under pressure. The good news is, genetically, guys, we are built that way. Physically, men, we're built to be strong under pressure. We make a choice not to be strong under pressure when it comes to our faith. And I'm going to encourage you not to do that. Here's thought number two. You ready? You better have some strong reasoning skills. And the way you have some strong reasoning skills is get into God's Word. Study God's Word. Man, be in a Bible study. Listen, be in as many sermons as you can. Listen, on, listen online when you can't be here. Begin to read God's Word and finally be strong to the end. You need to tell yourself that right now. Man, because of what Jesus Christ has done for me and the forgiveness He's brought to me, that I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to back down. When things get hard, I'm going to press on. I'm going to press on, and I'm going to keep the power up and the engine up, and I'm going to keep the RPMs up in my spiritual journey, and guess what? When things don't go my way, I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to shrink back, and ultimately, I'm not going to roll over and play dead in my faith. Man, you just think about some of those things. I, I love, love some of it. First of all, here, here, here's a question that some people have. Verse 56, it says, the Son of God was standing at the right hand of the throne of God. You might want to write this down. I'll go read it to you. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 to 3. I want to, I want to show you a difference, and I'll give you my opinion. And uh, I always try to tell you, hey, here's what God's Word says, and here's my opinion. So I'm going to give you an opinion of mine, all right? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 to 3. This is the writer book of Hebrews, right after Hebrews 11, which is the Hebrew, uh, the, the, the spiritual hall of, hall of faith. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 to 3 says, Therefore... Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, guess what? Stephen is up there. 
And guess what he's also doing? He's looking down at you and me, and, and we, we, we kind of whine about some of the little struggles that we go through. And he, you know what he's saying in a gently loving way? He says, hey, you boys suck it up. That ain't nothing. You live in a Swiss cake roll society. He's saying, you want to you talk about hardships? He said, look at my life. He goes, man, I got, a, I got a chapter and a half, and it took me about one verse to get in trouble. Next thing that happened, I preached my best sermon. Guess what? It was my only sermon. And they stoned me for it. Now, that's a bad sermon. All right? That's a bad sermon. He said, I preached one sermon. They stoned me for it. And it was truth. And he goes, and you're sitting here whining about what you're going through? And so notice what it says. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, what is that? Go look at, go look at Hebrews chapter 11. Guess who's in there? Not a perfect one is in the Hall of Fame. David's in there. Samson's in there. Rahab's in there. There's a lot of people in there that aren't perfect, guys. And if you aren't perfect, welcome to the club. Because if you were perfect, Jesus didn't have to die for you. But instead, none of us are perfect, so he died for all of us. So let me read on. There, there, there are a cloud of witnesses telling us, listen, don't throw in the towel. Let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out, out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. He's who we always look at, who is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning the shame. Now here's the key. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Wait. Hebrews chapter 12 said he sat down. Acts chapter 7 says Stephen looked up and saw Jesus standing up. What is it? Is he sitting down or is he standing up? Man, the beauty is this. Jesus is still working on our behalf. All right? He sat down, and that reference there is that when Jesus died on the cross, he hung on the cross, and he says, it is finished. Salvation's work was done. His death paid for all of your sins, the ones you have committed, the ones you will commit, the ones you will commit in 10 years. It has been done. He has died, has been buried, rose again. When, salvation, when it comes to salvation, his work is done. He has sat down. He left the Father, was born in Bethlehem, lived a perfect life, delivered in the hands of sinful men, nailed to the cross, said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He breathed his last on the cross. He died. He was buried in a tomb, rose again the third day. Acts chapter 1, ascended back into heaven. All right? And he sat down. Why? Salvation has been paid for. You and I don't have to work for it. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't work. But we should work because we are grateful for what Christ has already done for us. Now, as we think about it, what's the difference? One time he's standing up, Acts chapter 7, when Stephen looks in heaven. Jesus is sitting down in Hebrews chapter 12. Let me give you my opinion. Hebrews chapter 12 is showing his finished work because if you read the book of Hebrews, what is it constantly saying? saying the Old Testament priests were constantly making sacrifices for our sins over and over again daily. This is Hebrews, daily, but not one of those sacrifices would provide salvation and forgiveness of sins. So what did they do? 
they constantly made sacrifice. What? Reminding the people, reminding the people. Well, guess what? What's he talking about? The priest worked every day over and over and over and over and over again with a sacrificial system that was not ultimately going to pay for the price for one person, you or me or any other Jew who ever walked the face of the earth. But they had to do it over and over to remind the people they were sinful. Jesus made one sacrifice one time, and as the high priest, he sits down. But in Acts chapter 7, one of his saints is about to die, and he looks up and he sees Jesus standing. I believe that's a good picture of Jesus is still working on our behalf in heaven, not for our salvation, but ready to receive our soul, to speak to the Father on your behalf. You, look, you go look in 1 John chapter 2. Pick it up in verse 1. What does it say? It says, this is John. He says, my desire for you, brothers and sisters, is that none of you would sin. How many of you know that would be great if none of us ever sinned again? <laughs> but how many of you know the rest of the verse? But when you do sin, he goes, there's a desire. But when you do sin, and I know some of you, it won't take long. We have a advocate an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. You know what that advocate is with the Father? Same word you and I would translate an attorney. Is that when I sin, Satan, the accuser, comes and says, Hey, John Mark, look at that sin. And Jesus, as the attorney, said, speaks to the Father on my behalf and says, You're right, that's a sin. But, oh, oh by the way, Father, remember we paid for that? And then I also believe, just like Stephen, though it might not be that dramatic, when I'm ready to go be with my Maker, that my Savior Jesus Christ will stand up and receive me to my ultimate home. Let's pray. Father, my prayer for these guys is that when we leave here today, that every one of us would be willing to stand firm in our faith. God, I, I pray the day that every man here, every man here would be faithful to the end, that that would be their mindset as they leave. But they would also be strong under pressure and begin today to study God's word so that when the day comes, when they have to stand in their faith, that they would have strong reasoning skills. They would be able to look at the Old Testament, tie it to the New Testament, look at the Old Testament sacrificial system, the, the, the message of the prophets, and ultimately say, that all points to Jesus without a shadow of a doubt. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. God bless you guys. You all have a great day. Thank you, guys. Good seeing you.